What Marvel mutants are still missing from Jonathan Hickman's era of X-Men comics? In part one, I explored six major missing mutants, and today in part two, I'll cover five more, plus a rundown of some listener favorites nominated in the comments of part one of this series as we dig into the missing mutants of Marvel's X-Men. Today, I'll answer five more of the most notable missing mutants in this era of X-Men, the Dawn of X, an expanded theory about Moira X's true plans for mutant kind, and of course, theories and predictions for what's to come in the Dawn of X. Spoilers will follow for this conversation throughout the Dawn of X as I talk about a bunch of things that have happened since House of X and Powers of 10 kicked off the era way back in uh, summer 2019. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You are listening to Crack and Krakoa. If you like the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel or Crack and Krakoa, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. It helps me out a great deal. Without further ado, let's talk major missing mutants. Number seven on our list, and a big one. I wouldn't say this is like an order of importance because Cassandra Nova is a pretty big deal. She's not the seven most important, but she is the seventh I'm going to be talking about. Who is Cassandra Nova? Well, in short, she is Professor Charles Xavier's long-lost evil twin that he tried to kill in the womb. Arguably, it was self-defense. Nova is a remarkably powerful telepath and a mumadre, aka Charlie's perfect spiritual opposite. It is debatable, I suppose, that Cassandra is in fact mutant, because while she is basically a twin, in his twin, she's actually created from Professor Xavier's psychic energy. So as to her official mutant status, up in the air. Last we saw Cassandra Nova, well, the last notable story is X-Men Red in one of the best pre-Hickman X-Men arcs by Tom Taylor with frequent art by Mamadas Rar. Nova faces off against Jean Grey and the reformed X-Men Red Squad, and it is, again, basically a battle of hate versus empathy. And by the end of that, Jean Grey actually makes Nova feel empathy for the first time, and she is overwhelmed. Now, shortly thereafter, Cassandra Nova was reportedly jailed in the pages of the Matt Rosenberg-written Uncanny X-Men, which we learn in a conversation that occurs with the current uh, Black King, Emma Frost, and she basically just overhears a general saying, you know, basically, we helped, we found Cassandra Nova last night, thanks to your information, which implies she is imprisoned somewhere in the United States, but I don't know that we have much more information beyond that as to her current status. Now, what comes next for Cassandra Nova? Well, there's kind of two possibilities that, that probably lead into each other. The first is, and here comes tomorrow, the Grant Morrison story arc that he finished his new X-Men run on in 2001 to 2004. The Grant Morrison influence, again, cannot be overstated in terms of Jonathan Hickman as a creator, and especially in terms of his, you know, the X-Men runs that he has celebrated leading into his time on the title. There's also an extremely strong implication in Morrison's Here Comes Tomorrow that the grown-up future Cassandra Nova, who shows up in this arc, and she's like the leader of the X-Men at this point in time in this kind of apocalyptic future that Morrison and I think it's Mark Silvestri on art uh, depict, in the grown-up version of Nova, she was once the mutant known as Ernst, a, a younger mutant who debuts in the Morrison era of New X-Men. Uh, she looks very old. She has a, what appears to be a progeria, this disease where you know, a younger person can look very old. And she is also great friends with No Girl. As who are, Ernst and No Girl are both also mutants who are kind of missing in this era of X-Men as well. I think connecting them to Nova as uh, as Graham Morrison intended is something that is very likely. But I think this sort of future and this uh, this alternate future is a possibility about where the 
story could be going. Again, anything that is Grant Morrison related, I think we have to consider like Hickman's probably going to want to play with that a little bit. Okay. The other strong possibility is that in Moira X's lifelines that we learned about in Powers of Ten, I think it was Powers of Ten number six, there's Homo Novissima. Now, if there was a Cassandra Nova connection here, I and I, I think, you know, the reason I think there might be is one, just because of what the the genetic kind of blend between machine and man is called homo novissima right like it's right there in the name potentially <laughs> that that is nova cassandra nova related and if there is a cassandra nova related connection i can't imagine moira would be cool with her bouncing around krakoa right like if she is if moira is in any way aware of this homo novissima person who is in her sixth lifeline and basically tried to like nullify Moira, you know, she basically tried to say, Moira, we are going to keep you here and absorb you into this dominion, this this cosmic uh, galactic intelligence, so that you can never ensure the the survival of mutant kind because you'll just be, you'll be outside it in this dominion. In terms of how we could get there, you know, with Cassandra Nova, um, it, it it's like she has lain dormant in mutants before. We've seen it with Emma Frost and we've seen it with Bishop in previous X-Men stories. So Nova could already have a presence on Krakoa kind of building towards this Homo Novissima timeline in just lying in wait. That's a strong possibility as well. Now there's a ton to this character. I think Sandra Nova could and, and definitely easily like should get her own overview in her own right. I'm kind of fast tracking here just because she's a major, major thread that I, again, given the Morrison influence, given the fact that she's created a new X-Men and Hickman's adoration for that run and that creator. I mean, th th we're going to see this character. It's really just a matter of like, is Cassandra Nova going to be resurrected as a mutant part of Krakoa, which is very much up in the air. We haven't seen it done. So that leads us to another missing mutant component, which is the Children of Apocalypse. Now we've got two options here. We've got Holocaust and Genocide, and we've got the Apocalypse Wins. So let's talk about them a little bit. Uh, so Holocaust is a character who makes it out of Age of Apocalypse alongside X-Man. And he is around for a while uh, as an Age of Apocalypse cast-off. And then there is an Earth-616 version of the character, not the Age of Apocalypse version, who is named Genocide, okay? Who debuts in the Rick Remender run on Uncanny X-Force. And this Genocide is raised by Klanakaba and helped by Dark Beast. And we're going to talk a little bit about this Genocide, I think, more specifically. Because, again, like, Holocaust makes it out of the Age of Apocalypse timeline. But I don't necessarily expect, and we'll talk a little bit about why this is the case in this coverage, that, like, alternate reality characters are top priority <laughs> for uh, for Krakoan Resurrection. Certainly we haven't seen it that way. So I think instead, uh, Genocide is more interesting to me because Genocide is very much an Earth-616 character and uh, again, like raised by Klanakaba and Dark Beast, another Age of Apocalypse cast-off who we'll talk about here in a second. Likewise though, so we have Genocide. That is a character who does exist in Marvel who is the son of an apocalypse, okay, an apocalypse, we'll talk about what that means in a second here, but then we also have the Apocalypse Twins, who come from the seeds uh, in, in Rick Remender's X-Force that were laying, and then ultimately are, are created and unveiled in the pages of Uncanny Avengers. Now, again, these twins are children of an 
Apocalypse. Okay, that does not mean N. Savanor. What was the last time we saw these characters? Well, we saw Genocide and Holocaust, or, or really just Genocide, was ultimately killed by Magneto in the pages of, of Uncanny X-Men number 10 during a very disappointing Apocalypse Wars crossover. So I don't really see how you'd argue Genocide isn't ready for resurrection. I mean, this is a mutant who existed in the this Earth-616 and was killed and, and seemingly has not been resurrected. The Apocalypse Twins, on the other hand, they rage from Uncanny Avengers number five to uncanny Avengers number 22 and to my knowledge have not been seen or used since uh you have uriel and i'm are the twins here of archangel and a pestilence from the dark angel saga during this time archangel warren worthington actually replaces apocalypse as the apocalypse something i'm hoping to talk about a lot more in a detail uh detailed breakdown of the x of swords handbook that talks a little bit about like there being um and i talked about this in my review of x-men number 13 about ensabonur being the eighth apocalypse of earth 616 so i won't get like fully into the weeds there but in terms of what's next for these characters i mean i don't expect it because it might just complicate things but honestly ten of swords in the apocalypse family reunion would be a pretty darn good darn time to give us an update on what's up with these characters again i think like we have genocide a son of apocalypse who is based on holocaust and alternate reality son of apocalypse and we have these apocalypse twins who while not necessarily uh, the children of ensabonur but literally not the children of ensabonur they are connected to the apocalypse mythos i think these characters would be really interesting again as we explore this new apocalypse family that is being framed up and and made uh, increasingly important in the hickman written pages of the Ten of Swords event. So I find these characters extremely compelling. I would like to see them return to Krakoa and get some detail about what's going on with them. Speaking of Apocalypse, we got to talk Age of Apocalypse a little bit here. Now, there are two characters that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, there's Sugar Man, and then there's Dark Beast. So Sugar Man, and I've already covered off a few Age of Apocalypse cast-offs. We had Nate Gray, X-Man, you know, I talked about in the first thing. Uh, obviously, X-Man had the Age of X-Men event leading into House and Powers. But X-Man is a cast-off. Like, that Nate Gray is the, the version of Cable from the Age of Apocalypse alternate reality. And Sugar Man is kind of his own thing. Like, he's not a version of another character, but he's an Age of Apocalypse cast-off who makes it to Earth-616. Uh, so we do see this character bouncing around 616. We... The the other one that we see way more of is Dark Beast, who is the version of Hank McCoy Beast, who of course makes it from the Age of Apocalypse timeline to our own to Earth 616, and it had a role in X-Men history since that time in a number of comics. I mean, again, like in the 90s, of course, there's going to be that post-AOA, you know, let's make Dark Beast a thing as he leads various villains and has connection to villains like Mikhail Rasputin in this timeline. But then there's also, you know, like Endangered Species. Um, the series that followed uh, in the wake of Decimation, Scarlet Witch's Decimation of Mutant Kind in the 2000s, Hank McCoy turns to Dark Beast and he's like, hey, got any ideas on how we can ensure the survival of Mutant Kind? Most recently, we saw Dark Beast in the pages of, again, that Matt Rosenberg written uh, on Canny X-Men run, which leads up to House and Powers. So in the X-Men run immediately preceding the Hickman era, Dark Beast is a like majorly integrated into this unit, uh, working with the team. He is ultimately killed by magic by Ileana Rasputin when he is uh like phased into a wall I think is basically what happened there so I think to our knowledge Dark Beast is dead now they last we saw Sugar Man similar thing he was found dead actually in this exact same run just in the the very first issue I think it's in the 2018 relaunch Uncanny X-Men number one I think Bishop finds him dead um, I might have it wrong who actually discovers him. So both these Age of Apocalypse cast-offs are kind of taken off the table. And they're they're 
like, okay, are they up for resurrection? I think is the question. Like, what's next? Well, it, again, like, I'm going to go through the handbook. I'm going to go through the things that really caught my eye, I think, in a separate video. But the Marvel Ten of Swords handbook does point out that alternate reality and clone mutants may be outside resurrection protocols. I mean, it, it's pretty clear. It says it was used to resurrect all previously deceased X-Men, except clones and alternate reality versions of existing members, and presumably return Xavier to his own body, which is neither here nor there for this conversation. But as a lot of readers have pointed out, there are clones or clone-adjacent individuals on Krakoa. The Stepford Cuckoos, for example, and Gabi are the most notable examples. Um, although I suppose the of existing members caveat in the sentence there is somewhat crucial, as there are mild alterations between Emma Frost and the Stepfords, right? Like, you wouldn't consider them exact clones. To despite shared DNA, and the same goes for Gabby and Laura Kinney and Logan as, as various sort of Wolverine entities. That said, Dark Beast might already be in play, if we think about it. Now, like, he definitely has not been resurrected, but a lot of people, including myself, have theorized that Dark Beast could be an influence in the mind of Hank McCoy, or we could be watching, potentially, the Earth-616 version of our Hank McCoy turning into what we typically associate as Dark Beast. And this is happening in the pages of X-Force, where Beast is making just, like, the most obviously bad decisions, <laughs> oftentimes. Although, again, like, there is it's it's not without some nuance. It's not without some, I suppose, uh, argument. You know, in terms of the things he's doing for self-defense and the thinking that can lead a mutant to say, like, well, I have to, uh, you know, harm these people to protect our own. And and getting into those arguments, I suppose, there's there's more to it than literally just like, okay, black and white, good and bad. That said, Beast actions, I would say. Uh, in terms of like doing a genocide, <laughs> in terms of uh, you know um, what did he do? what did he do with Colossus? He he put him up in front of the, the you know basically made a scene of saying we're going to arrest all the Russians because they might have Russian ties. I mean Beast is making like very damaging decisions, and I think there's a possibility that Dark Beast is already like possessing his mind, already a part of it, already in his head, or just that we're watching him walk down that path. Number ten on the list: major missing mutants who can come back. Jimmy. Hudson. Who is Jimmy Hudson? Well, he's the son of Wolverine from the Marvel Ultimate Universe. His mother is Magneto's ex-wife, for what it's worth, uh, a character who takes on an interesting role after the events of Ultimatum. His relevance to the current era of X-Men in Earth 616 is that Jimmy was one of the surviving Ultimate Universe characters who made it from Secret Wars through to mainline Marvel, a la Miles Morales or Old Man Logan. So Jimmy Hudson very much does uh, become a part of the integrated Earth 616 universe after the death, in quotes, of the Ultimate Universe that occurred in the pages of Secret Wars because like otherwise Ultimate Universe versions of the X-Men there's no expectation that they would be resurrected on Krakoa at least at this time Jimmy Hudson becomes kind of an exception to that rule because he did bounce around on Earth 616 as his own separate entity When's the last we saw Jimmy? Well, he had a consistent role in the X-Men Blue series. Again, this is like 2017, 2018. He was captured by Miss Sinister, uh, Miss Sinister, to be very clear there, and a, alongside some other Ultimate Universe cast-offs, and he was ultimately found by the original five X-Men, the young original five X-Men, who, uh, you know, again, were sent back in time prior to the Hickman X-Men. Again, like, going back to that handbook thing, the... One of the key things Hickman is clearly doing and, and made a point of like editorially and structurally is removing duplicates, removing versions of characters that are, you know, like basically we don't want four Wolverines running around, which as a fan, I 100% agree with. But it does raise these questions about like, well, what about what are we actually doing with these other characters? I mean, the last we saw of Jimmy Hudson, he was a poison 
<laughs> okay, from Venomized, a, a five-issue Venom kind of mini-event, and he was in the pages of X-Men Blue as a poison, uh, basically harassing Sebastian, not harassing Sebastian Shaw, um, assaulting him as he deserved because Sebastian Shaw was going to do some damage to the original Cyclops and Jean Grey. Okay, so he was protecting them. Uh, but he it was debatable... Even at this point, if Jimmy is still even a mutant, uh, he is this kind of symbiote-attached Venom thing. And I think, you know, he's still that. I don't think that we've seen the character since. So this one's a bit interesting because Jimmy is not a direct clone. And while he is from another reality, I'd argue he's not a direct copy of Wolverine the same way Laura Kinney or Gabby are not. Again, like, he's not just the Ultimate Universe version of Wolverine. Like, in the case of Old Man Logan, were that character to still be alive, you would say, well, that's an alternate reality version of Wolverine. Jimmy Hudson is not exactly that. I think if you look at just the way the handbook said it, saying no clones, no alt-reality versions of you know, characters that already exist, Jimmy Hudson should be up for resurrection. So I think this is a character we could see sometime in the near future and could be added to the Wolverine squad. The question, the bigger question then becomes, is the, does the character actually even need resurrection or is Jimmy still bouncing around as this weird Venom hybrid symbiote, uh, again, like as a poison, which is not a concept that is heavily utilized in the actual ongoing Venom. All right, here's the biggest one the precogs okay uh this is a major one for for the hickman era of x-men as we'll get into um i'm going to talk primarily here about blindfold and destiny you know definitely one that we, we have talked about a lot in our conversations around x-men and in the post house and power scene uh, but there's also technically madam webb here who i know from spider-man particularly spider-man the animated series my first introduction to this character who i i some readers i think mentioned this and i looked up and you know like she is labeled as a mutant so that's a really interesting one to me because anytime Madam Web shows up, I'm thinking 90s animated series. I'm thinking uh, that video game Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. And uh, and also, Nothing Stops the Juggernaut, the best uh, two-issue Juggernaut story of all time. Madam Web's got a role in that too. So she's got some great Spider-Man moments. It'd be interesting if they brought her into X-Men. But we're primarily going to focus here on Destiny. Given her prominence as the arch nemesis of Moira X and the wife of Mystique, Dawn of X readers are pretty darn familiar with Irene Adler at this point. She's easily one of the most compelling mutants in the Dawn of X without showing up, really, in like a single panel, at least in uh, the present moment. You know, we've seen her referenced, obviously, in Powers of Ten, in Moira's Third Life, and we've also seen her referenced in flashbacks to Mystique, but she is not resurrected. And very famously, you know, Moira has said, she cannot be resurrected. That is like the one secret rule of Krakoa is do not bring back precogs. But really, more specifically, it's like do not bring back Destiny. She's a problem. Blindfold, on the other hand, her name is Ruth Aldine. She's another of the most memorable mutants with the ability to tell the future. She's created in the Joss Whedon and John Cassidy run on Astonishing X-Men and has bounced around in the X-Men and Marvel Universe since then. Um, she strikes up an interesting relationship with Legion, actually, in the very good X-Men Legacy series written by Cy Spurrier. And as we'll talk about last, we saw her was in the pages of, again, that Matt Rosenberg uncanny X-Men run. So last we saw Ruth, she was sadly committing suicide in the pages of the Rosenberg-written X-Men uh, run. Last we saw Destiny, though, was either in House of X or arguably X-Men number six through Mystique's Memories and Shrine. The parting message that Destiny leaves for Mystique that we get in the pages of X-Men number six is, when those days come, remember these words, bring me back, and if you cannot, if they will not, then burn that place to the ground. Pretty awesome, pretty ominous. I do love the design here of Destiny's face mask and helmet, the way just Irene Adler is a, a presence throughout the series, with again, without even showing up, is extremely cool. So let's talk what is next 
for these characters because there's a lot to consider. So why would Myra not want Destiny to come back? It's one of the most engaging mysteries of Hickman's X-Men, I'd say. In Moira's third life, in this epic confrontation between the two, Destiny and the Brotherhood burn Moira alive because she created a cure for mutant kind. Their message is effectively, don't destroy mutants, use your gifts to find ways for mutants to survive. Okay. To my mind then, if that's what Moira was still doing, really seeking out mutant survival in Life 10 for everyone on Krakoa, why would she still be afraid of Destiny's presence, right? It would seem like she was doing what, what Destiny would want her to do. There's two answers that spring to mind. Number one, the knowledge of her plan would spoil her plan. Therefore, mutants can't know or it will never come to pass, right? Like the possibility of the plan will be ruined if you all know what it is because you wouldn't act the way you naturally would or something to that effect. Or number two, which I prefer, is that Moira's plans run counter to mutant survival, at least in the way that Destiny would like. I think this is the more likely outcome. Not necessarily that Moira is yet again working on a secret cure for mutant kind. I think that would be a little too obvious, but something a little bit deeper. One line I've thought about a ton since House and Powers ended is in the pages of uh, Hickman's work on Fantastic Four characters and into Avengers, there's a line from Valeria Richards to her father, Reed Richards, that says... Basically, like, okay, we're not going to win. It's time to start figuring out how not to lose. That's her advice. You can't win, okay? And what do you do in that situation? You figure out how not to lose. Moira tells Charles Xavier the dark secret of her mutant lives is that mutants always lose. It makes me wonder if Life 10 is less about figuring out how to finally win and more about figuring out how not to lose. There are several options that could fit into this sort of stalemate stalling approach, but the one I've probably theorized about the most is Moira planning an eventual ascension to the Phalanx and a mutant ascension as part of one of those galactic intelligences we saw in Powers of Ten. If you remember all the conversation around world mind and dominion and titan, all that stuff, right? Moira trying to position mutant kind in some form to adapt to that. It's a literal, if you can't beat them, join them. And I could see Destiny rejecting this outcome as a means of mutant survival because it's not a scenario where mutants win and thrive. So what's next for precognitives? Well, I think a strong possibility is Mystique disguises herself as Professor X, as Magneto, or whomever gets her access and gets some of this intel about Moira. Maybe she gets into the no place. Maybe she has a conversation, right? And reveals it to the Krakoan nation. I think that's like Mystique. There's kind of two options for her. One is she sabotages the whole thing by having access to this Nimrod being built and like allowing it to happen, like helping Orcus, helping the Nimrod be built to destroy Krakoa because she's been spurned. But the the other option is she actually works with mutant kind takes this information and says if i make this public you know and you've like withheld destiny from me i can fracture krakoa and i can make something better and this could like create a fractured nation state possibly a civil war i think it's borderline zero percent <laughs> like there's no chance that we don't see destiny and probably even blindfold again possibly resurrected as part of Mystique's Krakoa Island takeover. I think there's, a, again, a lot of people are looking for, like, what happens when the X-Men, what happens when the mutants discover the truth of what Professor Xavier is planning? What happens when they discover the truth of what Mara is planning? And there's an implication throughout this that, like, things will go poorly. Like, if they really knew what they were planning, they maybe wouldn't be allied on Krakoa. And I think Mystique could be absolutely instrumental in that because, again, of her connections to Destiny and the fact that she is being absolutely played by Professor X and Magneto, and not well. It's not like they're subtle about this. You know, they keep making her, they say, all right, you'll have earned her resurrection when you do this task for us, but they keep moving the goalposts on her. And, and again, Mystique, she is not a, a character to be trifled with in this manner. She is going to react, and I think the reaction is going to create a what leads to the resurrection of Destiny and Precognitives in the Krakoan Nation. So 
I also do want to cover just very briefly Kraken Krakoa listener favorites uh, from part one of the Missing Mutant special. Uh, I won't talk about these in significant detail, but I will say there were five I pulled away that I, I thought probably had the most uh, to talk about. The first is Forget Me Not, a character that I definitely had forgotten about and don't know much about. And I find particular... So the mutant ability is basically like if you're not directly looking at them, you forget they exist. It's a really interesting character. And it's also... This character is called out specifically in the Tennis Horse Handbook. Like they go out of their way to talk about Forget Me Not, which makes me think there might be some reason for that. Like this character might have a role to play. So that could be a part three potentially on Missing Mutants if people are so inclined. I don't know that a part three is coming, honestly. I think like this, these two parts are the main notable mutants that I wanted to talk about, but I did want to kind of cover off on like, these are the, the other mutants that people suggested um, that, you know, if I did a part three, if people were interested in that and, and kind of asked for it enough, you know, these would be the ones that probably would be in the discussion in addition to any others you want to mention here in the comments. We also have uh, in the lower left, there's Justice, who is most prominently known as like the new, with the new warriors in the Avengers. Um, in the middle there with Miss Mr. Sinister, there's Threnody, who's a really interesting mutant. Below that, bottom right, we have Mimic, who is possibly not even a mutant, but who debuts at one of the oldest characters that we could talk about who uh, shows up in the Stan, Stan Lee and possibly Jack Kirby days of X-Men as a, a character who can basically just take anyone's powers. And then there's Miss Sinister, who again, like just on the clone level, I think we probably rule out. But there is like, you know, again, like it's... I don't know. <laughs> I don't totally know what to make of Miss Sinister and if she should have a role in this series. Um, but again, like it's a kind of an interesting character to consider given how big a deal Mr. Sinister is in this run and just how interesting the character is in general. So there you have it. Those are the more missing mutants of Krakoa, at least the notable ones. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You know, I do want to say, too, like, thanks to everybody who is suggesting characters to talk about in the comments. Definitely do so here. Uh, I will say a lot of the ones that I looked at, they were characters who either have been seen or mentioned in some capacity. Which doesn't mean don't mention them, you know, but it's like there's there's so many mutants in this universe and there are so many comics where it, it like they might just have a brief appearance like Dust is an interesting character to me, um, who again is created back in that Morrison New X-Men run. You know, she technically shows up in House X, right? She, she's around. She's on the page. Uh, Blink, who I love from the pages of Age of Apocalypse and Exiles, is a really interesting character I saw mentioned. You know, she technically is mentioned in a data page uh, as sword fighting Nightcrawler, I think it is, in the pages of Cable. So again, it's like, do I want more from these characters? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we kind of do know what they are. It's not really a mystery to me, like if they're around. That said, you know, again, I made exceptions to that myself with like Zorn in the first part. So there could be a lot more to dig into with what these characters might be up to. Thanks as well to everybody who supports Comic Book Herald and Kraken Krakoa. Thanks to everybody at patreon.com slash comic book herald for supporting the site monetarily. It helps me out a great deal and encourages me to continue making all of these things. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com at comicbookherald online. Look for the best comics ever in my Marvelous Year podcast for more from me. So thanks so much everybody for listening and as always, enjoy the comics.